I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, here we are. Well, honey, it's great to see you. I've been in Atlanta. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Visiting my dad. Yes, you have. You've been gone for a week. A very long. This is a very long visit, but my yes. sister is on a much well-deserved vacation. So well, that's wonderful for her. Lydia, my other sister, Lydia, and I are taking turns, you know, dad sitting. And so he's 88 years old and is wonderful company, but 
you know, needs some help with this and that. So that's why we're here. And I'm just glad that I know you're holding it down at home, darling. Don't have to worry about a thing. Doing my best. You know, our grand puppy has been gone for almost a week. I miss Nala. Yeah. But, you know, mostly it's been a week of work getting ready for the notes from Lucasfilm, which will probably come, you know, by the end of next week. And then I have to jump into that project. So right now I'm kind of clean up some other things, get other other work done. All this is non-union, of course. Well, well uh, not, we're not, not related at all to the screen. Right. So, you know, it's it's book stuff. So the you know, we're very, very careful about that. We definitely yeah. support the, the strike. Yeah, and then you gotta bring it up. You gotta keep on living. And since you brought it up, why don't we talk about what's going on? Yeah, you usually play a little bit more of that. I do. Well, okay. you know, they can't see us dancing, so it's not as much fun on the on the audio. Well, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I'm a creature what, of ritual. After all. What I am writing, speaking of non-WGA related writing, I am working on a comic pitch. And I can't say too much about it because it's it's an indie project, but it's very exciting and it's unannounced. But you know, after my curiosity was piqued with The Keeper and also working on the comic with Reggie Hudlin, the Black History comic, last year, I am, you know, dipping my toe just a little bit in. And it's nice to do something different, you know, very nice to do something different. Well, I think our good friend Rodney, you know, Rodney Barnes, has has really shown the way in terms of diversifying so it's just you have multiple streams of income mm-hmm. in multiple genres and multiple uh, platforms. And that way, no single person can control you or hurt you. And you've yeah. always got – and I also find that you can produce more work if you're bouncing around between different types of work. Yeah, It's a little bit like you know working the upper body one day and the lower body the next. So it's a little bit like that. Uh, so you know, I, when I take a look at it, what – how how would you describe the different projects that you're working on now? What what different platforms or, or genres are you working in? Well, we're still in a holding pattern, awaiting word on a scripted podcast pitch, which is a completely new kind of writing for both of us. And the comic outline. And I'm working on a spec script while I dream of turning it into my next novel. So Theoretically, I'm using the spec script as kind of an outline for at least right. a portion of a new novel idea. So is that four different things? Four different things. And it looks science fiction, horror, horror. What is the is the can you mention the genre of the of the comic? Oh, it's all horror. Yeah, it's horror. It's horror. all horror. Okay. Horror, 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 okay. and horror. For me, <laughs> there's a science fiction book with Larry Niven. There's a series of short mini short stories. That you know we don't know, but hopefully that will happen, and they will right. range over different genres. I forgot about um, those. And then there is the Star Wars novel, which is pure you know science fantasy, you know space opera. And there's there's another project that we're working on that we don't talk about too much that is related to one of your books, and that would be supernatural suspense. Yeah, yeah, um, we're not working too much on that. Right at the moment, but yes, absolutely, absolutely, yes, yeah. So, so there are those things, and they're probably, you know, the the short stories range from horror to suspense. 
I think the one of them is science is strictly science fiction. You know, lots of lots of different you know, being able to sample lots of different ideas. And some of it is written as prose, some of it is written as script. And so the the, the processes are different. So I, I'm never what I want to think I need to increase my daily output to ten pages a day. Dang. So I'm testing that. I'll probably on huh? I said, dang, that's a lot of pages. Well, it is, it is and it isn't. The way I do it, 10 pages of script isn't that hard. Oh, it's, yeah, script, right. Tur- turning that script into text isn't that hard. Polishing that text isn't that hard. So the question is to is to look at different times of the day. My, my morning time, my done by one or free by three time is to produce new text. So that would be uh, either creating script or turning script into text. But then polishing that text is sort of the afternoon stuff, you know, where I just kind of go over it and texturize. And I can do that while I'm watching. Actually, I can also turn script into text while I'm watching television. What I can't do is write the first draft of script while I'm watching television. So there is my my office time and there's my time where I'm just kind of working at second attention. Terminating. well, ruminating, you know, just just looking at problems and fixing them. If I if there's a problem that's big enough that I can't fix it while I'm watching a cartoon or something like this, then I'll freeze the television, you know. Right. And if it's really tough, I might go back up to my office. But usually, just freezing the television for a minute and closing my eyes and visualizing it will free up the ideas that I need to to fix it. Because I'm not trying to make it perfect. I'm just trying to every time I go over it, I'm making sure that I improve it. Yeah, you know? a little and better. I, it's, it's the low hanging fruit. A little better. Yeah, a little better. Yeah, just a little better at time, a little better at time. And uh, that gets it done. You know, you 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 want it to be by the t- before you turn it in, you want it to be as close to perfect as it can possibly be. Yes. But you always have the 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 reality that you can't ever get it all the way to perfect because everything you do makes your eyes better, makes your makes your discernment better. So literally the working on the thing constantly pushes completion of the thing back. And there are people who get frozen with that for their entire careers. There are mm. people who can't finish a single project because they can always see something new to fix. Does the, so better, their entire careers. the better they get, the worse it gets. <laughs> right? Yeah, in some ways, the, yeah. the more they see that could be done. So it's, you know, there are other people who send it off while it's still trash. So the question of how to learn to you know when you let it go and how to learn to constantly be improving yourself is a very very important question and That's you know who it. knows maybe we'll, we'll address that one day on the podcast who knows maybe we will so one thing going on just in general that has been lighting up my social media has been a vanity fair article that came out by Maureen Ryan which is an excerpt from her up coming book, Burn It Down, (laughs) Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood, coming out, I believe, this week, June 6th, publication date. We will have her on the podcast sometime soon after that. But in the meantime, I mean, I had someone on my Twitter saying that they couldn't get any work done after they read this story because they were so triggered and it brought back so many memories of working in toxic writers' rooms Uh, especially affecting writers, someone said, prior to 2015. I guess maybe we started to see some changes in 2015, but Lost, maybe you watched it. Maybe it was one of your favorite shows. I was always a little lost, I have to admit, (laughs) in terms of the plot, but I did watch probably 80% of the run 
And now, according to this Vanity Fair story, which you can read without having to pay for it for your free article, if you like, is basically detailing what seems to be a very toxic environment behind the scenes with the showrunners that affected not only the actors, but also the writers. And in a sort of very unusual circumstance, one of the actors, Harold Perrineau, was willing to speak out and talk about he was the black guy <laughs> on Lost. And his problem is he felt like he was, quote, unquote, the black guy on Lost, not woven into the storylines and really came to a breaking point with the storyline having to do with the departure of his son. His son was missing and he felt if his character is a black dad who gives a damn about his son, why is it not showing up on the page and on the screen? And a lot of candid conversation happening around this, this, this article. She is telling all. And what I, what I texted to Mo, cause I spoke to her for her sleepy hollow section. And now that I know how much attention this book is garnering and how much people are talking about it, I'm wondering, what did I say? Because I was, I was a fan. I was just a fan of Sleepy Hollow. I was not in the writer's room. But yeah, fans of that show had some complaints. We suspected that because that Black lead, Nicole Bahari, was a Black woman, that the writers were having trouble making her feel like a co-lead, as she properly should in a series that at the end of season one felt very much like a Black horror series. In fact, the best I'd ever seen on television. And then by season two, it was almost as if there was a memo saying, oh, no, no, we can't have that. <laughs> and and many of the black cast members were swept aside, and you know, yeah. it went yeah. So I, it was I, obvious that they were angling for a romance between her and Ichabod Crane. You know, in fairness, a lot, a lot of typical thing, right? And a lot of the fans of all kinds really were shipping for that romance. I was not one of those people who felt like that was something the show needed, but I wanted her to be a three dimensional character. You know, sure. can, we go, can we go to her apartment one day? Does she have a life outside of hanging out with Ichabod? <laughs> Which is a very typical thing you see with Black actors on ensemble shows. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was all the more egregious because she was supposed to be one of the leads. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not be in favor of the thing with Ichabod Crane because it's a cliche that that you see more white men with Black women or women of other races than you see the reverse of right. that, even though that's not actually statistically valid. It's because right. that represents the fantasies of the people making the show. I so understand. if I, you know, I can I can be happy for Little Mermaid and I can be happy for Princess and the Frog and I can be happy for these things. But I do notice that there, as much complaint as there might have been about Ariel being cast black, if they cast the prince black and Ariel was white, there would have been even more. So, Whoa. you know, there are... <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not there is it, it it is unfortunate that I can't celebrate that. I will celebrate that when I see that it's statistically equivalent. You know, well, until then it is actually a sign of oppression to me. Definitely we are still awaiting that point in film and television where it reflects reality. It reflects the daily living yeah. of, of people. You know, it, it reflects, yeah, right now it reflects the preferences and fantasies of the people who hold the strings, which is why in my book, the only answer to this is diversity behind the camera. That's it. It's not right. educating people. It's, you know, and it's not necessarily, you know, asking people to be nice. It is getting in there however you can by hook or crook. If you have to beat your way in, yes, you know, but, yes. you know, if you can find allies to help your way in, that's fine. But that's the only thing because people are going to naturally 
try to create a world that makes them look better, that is familiar to them. That's a human, that's a, a natural thing about human beings. So it's nothing, it's not even anything personal. You know, it's, yeah. it's that this, this is the, this is the vestige of when the industry was completely white and every step of that integration has been fought by the people who wanted to keep it that way and wanted that sense of advantage. What and, people and, won't say is, I've got a nice, nasty advantage and I'm going to keep it. They don't say that. Right. That's even the honesty. Thinking it. But what seems to be true is they're not even thinking it, which is what makes it even scarier. One of the things that stands out about this Vanity Fair story, and there are accounts from more than one writer of, of and literal jokes and, and all kinds of things that are out in the story. I'm not going to rehash it all here. But she also talks to the showrunners you know, who were leading this ship, who were the captains of the ship. And there is some denial in terms of, well, I never said that. But what really comes across is obliviousness. Either Well, let me ask you a serious question. Yeah. What do you expect them to say? Well, true. You expect them to say, I like the advantage. I, I'm not attracted to black people. I don't like black. You know, they're not going to say that. They're going to say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize. No matter what. No matter what, that's what they're going to say. Nobody is going to come right out and say that. No. But obviously, some people feel that way. We're going to hold the line. We're going to keep this advantage as long as possible. But you can't do that and expect the other people to treat you fairly and your children fairly. So you lie, you know. And I, you know, it's some have to be telling the truth, but they can't all be that oblivious. They, some of them have to know what's going on and be giggling about it. I mean, seriously. Well, they 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 about to know. They about to know. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to read this book. And you know, speaking of this situation, we did an episode previously about Hollywood horror stories. We've had private conversations with friends of ours who are in the industry about their horror stories, and some of them are really, really horrible. Just offensive behaviors, things that are said to you. I mean, so much to the point where I feel for, you know, young writers who, who in particular want to get into Hollywood, but I'd say all young writers who look at the barriers in the industry and say, why should I bother? And, and it's, it's kind of interesting. I always knew that Hollywood was an uphill march. It is somewhat storied. You have all kinds of memoirs by people about how difficult this industry has been to navigate since the beginning. So it's not a surprise that it's it's difficult. But I have to admit that even I was gasping my way through that through that article. And I guess if I were on the complete outside and I had never sold a script, you know, maybe it is a little intimidating. Why should I why should I bother? And and I wanted to kind of address that feeling about people who feel trepidation about the arts because of the horror stories and how difficult it is. Well, you know, quite frankly, to me, it kind of boils down to that thing that, that so many parents have told, you know, black people, or in some cases, women, you know, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. Mm. That, that's an exaggeration mm -hmm. these days. But mm -hmm. I think that you, if you didn't hear that, you better hear it now. That if you're trying to get into somebody else's game, there's going to be resistance and you need to bring the emotional tools that will help you deal with that resistance with you and not be surprised when you run into it, you know, right. or at least not be devastated when you run into it. You, you never know where it's going to be. And people are smiling at you and everybody is so friendly and we're all one big family. And yet it, on some level, if you don't, if you don't understand that families can have real problems, you're not going to be surprised by the dysfunction. 
you know, that, yeah, these are nice, creative, intelligent people, and they're also human beings. So if you decided to get in there, you better bring your A game. And part of that A game had better be emotional defense. Yeah, I I don't think that Rodney Barnes would mind me sharing this. But when we recently had dinner with him, he said he was sort of watching our social media posts about the writing we were doing with Brian Fuller and, and his team and our, you know, our sort of gushiness and how excited we were. And he's thinking to himself, I hope they don't meet any of the sharks. He's just that, that bright eyed, bushy tailness that we have. <laughs> he was, he's just hoping that we don't run into somebody who is one of these, you know, toxic people, people who will take credit for things you've done, which has actually happened to stay before, or the WGA had to negotiate it. And it's it's just it's it is a tough business, and some things that happen in it are surprising. But I think the good news for creators, especially those of you who are just starting out, is you're a long way from being in a writer's room, <laughs> a long way. And really, what you need to focus on is becoming the best screenwriter you can be, and that is between you, you, and you. Well, I think that Rodney Rodney is is a beautiful soul for worrying about us in that sense. But I think that he may be, and a lot of people who who notice how bright eyed and bushy tailed I am, forget that I've also spent over fifty years in the martial arts. And if they <laughs> ask themselves why I did, it is because I wanted to be able to be bright eyed and bushy tailed. But I'm perfectly aware that there are sharks out there. Yes. So it was a matter. I never wanted to be a shark. I'm more of a dolphin, right. but dolphins can kill sharks. Ooh. So it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. Yeah. So my, they're a lot smarter than sharks, mm. you know? So mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a matter of how do you get to where you're going and, and remain an honorable, happy, healthy human being, but understand that there are predators out there who will hurt you and you're probably going to be hurt. So you have to have enough sense of who you are to be able to recover from that hurt as rapidly as possible so that you don't just give up. Because however much resistance there is now, remember, two generations ago, there was not this resistance because there were no black people in Hollywood. And, so, and- you know, and so the people who fought their way in initially were going through a hell of a lot more than what is happening now. You actually have so many black people in, in, in the Writers Guild now that they have their own caucus. You know? <laughs> right, so, right, right. So it's, yeah, it, it's bad, but have a sense of history and realize you're standing on the shoulders of people who had it worse. And so if you of- take the same amount of stress they took, you'll get further than they, than they were able to get. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That is so beautifully put. And I was just trying to jump in as usual with enthusiasm because speaking of history, <laughs> I don't know if people understand the accomplishments of this man right here on this other mic, but he was selling screenplays, television, teleplays to Hollywood in the 1980s, baby. There were some people you pitched who literally had never been pitched by a Black person. And you know that is true. You know that is true. Of course true. You were a pioneer. Pioneer! Never there was not a single Black executive no. that I ever pitched to. It was mostly white men and a few white women. That was it. I remember once upon a time, they had a black assistant of some kind in the room while I was pitching. That was it. It happened mm. once. Mm. You better believe I took him aside afterwards and talked to him about, you know, what he could do for his career. Right. Good for you. But yeah, it was, you know, and one of the things that I noticed is if the subject of race came up in the room, I probably was not going to get the job. That I, what I had to do was to keep them focused on the quality of the story. And what we could accomplish together. As long as it's it's an Aikido technique. We're not I'm not I don't want them looking at me. I want them to look at the mountain. I want them to look at the thing that we can do together. That their swimming pool, their beamer, you know, their 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 rays was in safe hands if they gave me the job. So if they're looking at me, it's it's white versus black. But if I could I also worked very hard to project enough energy that what they, when they remembered me, what they remembered was not my race. They remembered my brilliance. Mm. That was a very deliberate tactic on my part. And I would juice myself up in the car going there and in the parking lot before I went in. So that when I sat down there, they were simply blown out the back of the, of the studio. It was like, whoa, who is this? And I had to project 100% confidence. If I projected 100% confidence and brilliance, and I was using neuro-linguistic programming and all sorts of stuff to oh, be no able wonder. to make them like me, That's so you know, and it worked. Well, honey, I'm but glad it was hard. It, it is hard. And so that's just an example of like a tool that, that, that aspiring screenwriters will need once they start getting into those meetings. And once they, and it's hard to work up that nerve, you're going to have stomach rum, rumbling and maybe a trip to the oh, bathroom yeah. before the meeting. And they give you that water because your throat is dry, or at least they used to give you the water bottles. I don't know what's going on now with all the zooms. I don't think we're getting the water bottles anymore, but before that circus begins and make no mistake, it is a circus <laughs> before that circus well, begins. Send in the clowns. It's, right. <laughs> it's about you and the blank page. And I think if anyone is out there, especially as screenwriters looking at a strike and looking at all these allegations coming out and all these horror stories coming out, if, they, if you were letting that make you think, eh, maybe I won't work on my screenplay today, you're using it as an excuse. 
not to go claim your joy and not to express yourself and learn how to write crap. Maybe you're a little scared because you got some feedback that your script needs work or it needs another revision. And you're using the news as an excuse to feel like, oh, maybe this screenwriting isn't for me. Do not listen. Do not listen to those voices. Right? You know something? I, I don't know. You know, I, I there's a little there's a part of me that agrees just a little bit with something that Harlan Ellison would do when he was lecturing. If you can be discouraged, let yourself be. Oh shoot! You know, it, because it's it's tough, and this this may not be for you. But if you have made the commitment, then it is possible to find allies and techniques and this and this. If you have, if you cannot find something inside you that says "screw you," I'm going to make it. If you can find that, you can build on top of it. That spark, you can feed you can feed that spark tender and build it into a flame. But if somebody's, oh, I don't know if I can do it, let them go. Go do something else. Because no. there are those of us who have no option but to do this, and we will die in the attempt to do this. And even they need a lot of help. So my thing is you find that motivation yourself and then we can help you. But that's just me. I I think it's interesting to have the slightly different perspectives. If I look back on the young person I was, and I will be the first to admit that I have had a very sheltered life in many ways. You know, it was a comfortable childhood raised by civil rights activists and in a house where we always felt pride in ourselves on our family history to counteract a lot of the negative messaging that would have come from society. And even so, I was, I felt very naive coming out of that. I felt, I think one of the reasons, in fact, I know one of the reasons I write horror is to create characters I'm putting under the kinds of stresses I never was under so that I can learn from them. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you comport yourself under stress? How do you stand up? How do you remake your world when you just find out your husband was a 500-year-old immortal or whatever? So that, me back in the 20s, might have felt intimidated and put off. And I would have still had the same capacity to learn how to be a good screenwriter, but it would have just taken me a little extra emotional handholding. But you had that spark. You had you, you had more than a spark. You had a flame. So mm. given the fact that you had the flame, it's easy to build on that. Okay. And here's the thing. If I've got a hundred units of help to give people, I think multi-generationally, the person who's kind of like, oh, poor little me, I don't have time for you. I'm going to help the person who's kind of already beating their head against the wall. I'll show them how to pick the lock. That person getting in will lower the bar enough that maybe the poor little me person can get through in five years. Behind them, right, right, right. Or maybe maybe their child can't. But it's it's a matter of how do I help the most people? You know, it's the same thing as somebody who I say, if, if if you're writing a sentence a day, I can help you. If you're not writing a sentence today, you need to find the motivation to do that. Right. You know, it's 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 that are you breathing five times a day? If you're breathing five times a day in this way that I tell you, do that for a week, then come to me. And I can then build on top of that. But you have to find it within yourself. Now, if you're my child, you know, you my best friend comes to me and says, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm too scared, then I could invest myself and I'm willing to spend that hundred units of motivation. Because it's possible to help someone even if they don't want to be helped. You know, Mm -hmm. therapists do that all the time. But it's not my job to perform therapy on people who won't say, I need help and aren't willing to take that step themselves. It is, you can do it. But to me, it's a little bit of a a waste of my energy. 
I understand. So I'm we're speaking to you, writer, who does have that flame and who has been beating your head against the wall. And now you're hearing it's even harder and worse than you thought. And you just need a little reassurance that that really has nothing to do with you finishing this script, finishing this next draft, taking that class you sold yourself you were going to take or whatever next step that you are feeling uneasy about going outside of your comfort zone, going to a film festival to try to go to listen to a panel discussion, which by the way, is a really good place to meet showrunners and producers and directors at film festivals. Even if you're not in the film festival, if you're in the audience, you can ask a question from the audience. You can see people walking in the hallway. So there's some next step that you may be hiding from yourself and feeling like, oh, the news means maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And, and I'm just here to tell you, Keep on striving. I've said before that when I look at those people striking for the WGA, and it's everyone from the top, top, top showrunners to you literally just got your first WGA membership. And your room, I saw a tweet from someone whose room had only been going for four days, his first room, when the strike started. And do I know for certain that when the strike is over, that writer will be able to get another room and be a part of the WGA for years after that, you don't know. That's the up and down of this industry. And it's in part because of the up and down of this industry that so many people are willing to put their futures and jobs on the line to strike because it's like they couldn't guarantee they could get work anyway, a lot of them. So you might as well, well you know, fight to, to get paid look, what you're worth in the future. Or I see an important problem here. The problem is that the arts are about expressing our emotions, our hearts, our souls. Right. An industry that offers you a weekly paycheck is a job. It is an industry. It is a production line. Someone who works on a factory floor understands the realities of business a lot more than an artist who sits and writes and then hopes somebody's going to give him a ton of money, unless that artist happens to also have that practical sense. That sense of nobody owes you anything. There are sharks in the water, and yet you still got to swim. How do you do that? There are just too many. There are too many artists who will not look at marketing and sales as disciplines that they need to understand, and then complain about why they're broke. But honey, so, that ain't what's happening with this strike. No, it's not what's happening with this strike. But the people who are listening to this, oh, who you say are, you know, are, are being are being discouraged by this, I'm telling you that it is easier for you than it was for your grandparents or your parents. Mm-hmm. That that you have to find the grit inside you. There has to be something inside you that bears its teeth and says, I'm gonna do this. And if you get in my way, I'm going to bite you. That, that if you can't find something inside you that is doing that, then your only hope is to find a team that will protect you, you know, managers and agents, so forth, and lawyers. But until you have demonstrated that you have quality that that justifies them putting that energy into you as opposed to putting that energy into that fighter next door – it's not reasonable for you to expect to find that, that what they're looking for is people who can already fight, people who can already be adults, people who can already stand up and, and take the blows and get knocked down and, and skin their skin their knees and cry themselves to sleep and wake up the next day and do it again. That, that that person, that all you have to add to that person is the skill and the quote unquote, the talent 
the person who is determined to make it, you have to have that sense about yourself that you are determined to make it. It's not as important if what you want to do is publish a few short stories. You can do that, you know, that's relatively easy. Relative, even no matter, even if that seems really, really difficult right now, I know people who are in poverty who sell short stories. But if you're talking about being able to make the kind of money you got in Hollywood, you better take a look at the competition that is there. Mm-hmm. And it isn't that they're more skilled than you about, you know, when the, the actual skill of writing when they started. It was that they had something about themselves that let them work in a in a pressure cooker on a production line without, hopefully, without it damaging their sense of themselves as artists. To be able to keep both of those things, to keep your artistic heart alive, but at the same time, get tough. I mean, get really tough. It's the people who can do both of those things that have a chance in Hollywood. And I also want to point out that, you know, because of books like Maureen Ryan's and because of the Me Too movement and because there is so much more candor calling out bad behavior, there are fewer instances where certain groups, as you say, have to have all those skills and all that armor and all that flame, but they have an even higher bar. Like you said, twice as hard to get half as far and literally have to cry themselves to sleep at night every day after work where they're overrepresented counterparts who fit in better and who fit more of the picture of who the executives think the show is for get to laugh and joke and think they're having a good time. Those days are starting to dissipate where there were so many just strictly different tracks. If you were outside of the norm of, of who a screenwriter is supposed to be. Now there is more diversification. There are human resources, you know, seminars that we we had to sit through one that are more just explaining to people how to be decent. Frankly, there wasn't anything that surprising in the seminar that I can think of. Can you think of anything that was like, oh, I, I should watch that. I, I, I need to be careful that it's all. No, just- but, but remember something, you know, my attitude is it isn't going to be the education and the, and the sensitization and so forth. It's going to be the numbers. That's true. And that's what we're trying to help build. Screw all of that. Show me the people who can work their way in there. Put Let's see soldiers on the front line. Let's, let's do- see the numbers in the rooms change, and you'll see the culture changing. It's not yeah. a matter of educating. Because the people yes. who go to those sensitivity things, they laugh about it afterwards. They sure Because they always had to do that crap. They don't care. You know, the, the, the people who are problematic, they don't care about that stuff. They're not going to change. They're, they're going to change the way they present and be a little bit more quiet about it, but they're still yes. going to screw you when your back is turned. Find allies that are real allies. Get into the positions to take power. And the way you do that is by being so good at what you do. Remember, twice as good to get half as far that they know you're a bargain. They know you are a bargain. And they will hire you for their benefit because you can get the job done and you can take the heat without burning up. If you can do that, if you can find who you really are in that sense, then you can make it easier for the next generation who will make it easier for the next generation. It's the the attitude that I have about it is definitely that, you know, no matter what you do, I'm going to get mine. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has that. And I would like for the world to be a gentler place for those timid souls. I truly would. But it isn't that world right now. And I'm not going to spend any time resenting the world. I'm going to spend my time strategizing about how to change it. 
Oh, well put, well put. And I do want to go back to that craft piece because that's something that that Rodney has said and that I truly believe, uh, like a lot of us, we learned young that writing helped soothe us through hard times, whether it was journaling or writing comic books or disappearing into a short story and novel. That is my happy place. Writing has gotten me through the roughest periods of my life. I've written columns on writing through grief, just noticing how I can sit at my dying mother's bedside with a laptop and disappear from that room and rely upon that. Rely upon your love for creating stories and rely upon that part of you that has something to say. Because I was talking to my college students at UCLA today, giving them a last warning about chat GPT and so-called AI technologies are one of the things that WGA is fighting, you know, against and the strike just in terms of stories. Yeah. And, and chat GPT can give you a prompt just for fun. I asked for a prompt for my, my story and it gave me a couple of interesting prompts, but guess what? They weren't for me. <laughs> they weren't centered around what I wanted to say within the realm of a very firmly established genre of horror or subgenre of horror. It was the familiar. It was the stories that have been told this way before. Maybe not specifically one author stories, but very tropey, I guess would be the way I described it. But the way it was useful was that because I could see so much that I didn't like and didn't want to say, it helped clarify what I did want to say. So I could dig in and find a story that was my self-expression. So prompts are fun. Like every short story I've ever written almost has been from an editor prompt or not maybe half of them. Like we're doing an anthology about this. We're doing an anthology about that. Write a story, you know, that I never would have written. It's so the prompt is coming from the outside, but the part that matters is the thing you can add that no one else can. That's the magic of the writer's room table is that everyone is sharing stories from their lives and histories. That's most of what writing rooms are really is sharing your history. This happened to my grandfather. This happened to me. This happened to my uncle. And the things that have shaped us are those things that we want to write stories about to help ourselves process what has happened or what we're afraid is going to happen and hopefully to lay a roadmap to help the reader process the similar emotion. Because guess what? As human beings, we are so similar that that is why story works. That's why it moves us all. Because it, because so much of what happens to us is absolutely universal when told correctly. Well, yes. I mean, there's nothing there to disagree with. The, the question of can storytelling transform? Absolutely. And... I guess my only thought is that that we've kind of fallen into the role of you being the, the nurturing mother here and me being the kind of demanding father in in that sense. And I'm perfectly comfortable with that with that role because I believe that the opportunities are actually there now. The doors are open. And one of the reasons why you have a lot of political pushback right now is that people can feel themselves losing power. And it's frightening. They don't know what it means. And also, as we start telling our stories, we are redefining the nation they thought they knew, the world they thought they knew. And it's not comfortable for them. And they wonder about themselves. Yeah. So it's it's all, you know, I, you, you wanted me to talk about dealing with emotion. So if you are heading toward a goal 
and you know before you start out that it's going to be stressful, then what is critical is for you to have tools in your quiver, arrows in your quiver, to help you deal with that stress. And stress is primarily fear about something. And that's an emotion. And there are three ways to deal with emotions. There is work with your body, work with your focus, and work with the language in your head. So the fastest way to change your your mood when when things are when you're feeling depressed is to get up and move your body. You know, put on some good music and dance to it. And part of the thing that's going on there is you're changing your breathing. So moving your body could just be looked at as changing your breathing. And the way to breathe is deep, slow, diaphragmatic breathing. The, the technique of once every hour you stop for 60 seconds and you breathe and you do that at least, you know, do that once an hour, at least once every three hours. Okay. You just do that. And everybody should be doing that anyway, because if, if you look up diaphragmatic breathing, you'll know, you'll realize that most people don't breathe that. Most people breathe in their chest. And when they get angry or frightened, they breathe rapidly and shallowly. What you want is deep, slow, diaphragmatic breathing and movements that are comfortable and empowering. The other thing you do is you change your focus. And one of the great things to focus on is gratitude. If you, you know, if you can focus on what you're grateful for in life, that is a fantastic antidote for fear. So you shift your focus, shift your breathing, you can shift your focus, and you can shift your language. And this is one of the things that having a morning ritual where you're moving your body and breathing while you are speaking affirmations about what it is you're trying to accomplish, your confidence in your ability to do it, and your gratitude for the opportunity to just get in the, and, and swing at the ball. Those three things, changing your body, changing your focus, changing your language. And if you can integrate those things into your schedule, you can completely control your emotions over the course of a very, very tough day. That's fantastic. And, you know, it's stressful times, but maybe the good news and the bad news is that writers have always had uncertain futures. <laughs> That's kind of the the price of admission to this life. That's why my mother what? wanted me to be a journalism major back when journalism was a steady field instead of, say, a creative writing major, because she knew I could probably figure that out in my spare time, but a lot of parents steer their children away from the arts because of that uncertainty. Well, unless your family knows somebody who is successful at it, they're not likely to feel like, oh, if you want to be a doctor, I can introduce you to a doctor. You just ask them what you need to do to, in order to go to medical school and take these biology classes and you pass these things and now you've got a, now you, you've got a career. Same thing with the law, same thing with many kinds of business. If a family has an artist in the family, then they can take you to uncle this or aunt that and say, you know, sit down, you know, apprentice with them. What, what can you teach them about this, this life? They're just trying to protect you. Most people don't get to do something they love for a living. True. So if you can feel gratitude for even the chance to try and you understand, you know, it's in that sense, it's a super chicken world. You know, you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. That this is this is not for people who expect the world to be handed to them. This is for people who are willing to fight for their dreams. Yeah. And we want you to be some of those fighters. So remember to do that. And also don't forget that in terms of what Steve said, a physical practice is essential 
to a balanced artist life. So don't forget to check out www.firedancetaichi.com where Steve teaches Tai Chi, which look it up on WebMD has all kinds of really health qualities, not to mention a feeling good within your body and also creating a Zen space. And I say that as someone who is working my way slowly, at least through the course myself for the first time. It's a beautiful, graceful. Oh, you're doing fine. I hope so. So uh, let's wrap these things up. Do you have any final things that you want to say or was that it? Well, I had a signing for my book, The Wishing Pool and Other Stories in Decatur last night. So just remember that collection is out. It's my first collection in seven years. And a lot of stories about what motivated me to write just reminds me of the lessons that we're trying to impart to you. Don't let anyone turn you back. Like my 11th grade teacher, Mrs. Esther, told me, I said at my signing last night, right? and get rejection slips until you can wallpaper your wall with them. That's how long it will take to perfect your craft. And as long as you know that, you are all good. So go out and make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. All right, everybody. Have a good night. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.